Hey there, this is Pastor Corey, and welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. After you're done listening, I invite you to connect with us at branchlife.church to make sure you're up to date with everything going on at Branch Life. Want to share what you heard today? Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share this video with someone you want to encourage. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that this presentation helps you connect with Christ and challenges you to reach those around you with the good news of Jesus. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Well, good evening. I am Scott, and I'm one of the pastors here at Branch Life, and it's a, it's a treat to, to share a little bit of time in God's Word. We've been traveling through the book of 1 Corinthians uh, the last several weeks, and Pastor Josh has been doing a great job thinking, uh, helping us think through and process what it means to be broken people in a broken world and the hope and healing that's available. And we're going to look at uh, these verses that were just read in the video uh, eventually tonight, but before we get there, we're going to think about a chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians that kind of uses an extended metaphor of the body. And so I want to introduce you to my friend Fred here. Fred has seen a few better days, but uh, he'll help us out tonight. And Fred's going to help us out a little bit more later on in the service. But before we get there, I wanted to just kind of dive into this whole idea of the body and see how much you know about our bodies. And so we're going to take a little pop quiz. Sorry to give you anxiety if you're uh, uh, not into that. But uh, there's going to be, I think, five questions, and they're all going to, it's multiple choice. The answers will be one, two, and three. And I want you to answer with your fingers in your row there, and we are going for bragging rights in your row, okay, to see who can get the most answers correct. So let's, let's see how you do. So the first question is, what is the name of the fibrous protein found in hair and nails? Is it cartilage, fibrin, or keratin? What do you think? I'm seeing a lot of threes. You're correct. It is keratin. How about what the hip joint is an example of one, a ball and socket joint, two, an ellipsoidal joint, or three, a gliding joint? Seeing a lot of ones. I think we're doing good. You guys would have passed anatomy. It was a ball and socket joint. 
What percentage of an adult human skeleton is, I started that wrong, an adult human skeleton accounts for what percentage, there's a little better way to read it, of their body weight, 56%, 14%, or 28%. A little more uncertainty on this one. Some of you are pretty, we got a chiropractor back there. You can cheat off of him. He probably knows this. 14%, 14%. Which of the following is the largest internal organ? The stomach, the small intestine, or the large intestine? It's the small intestine. You can take that up with the naming committee. I don't know why. That was kind of a trick one. Where would you find the uvula? At the top of the throat, at the base of the spine, or in front of the ear canal? Some of you are like, I don't even know what that is. It's at the top of the throat. And then lastly, my personal favorite one, which grows fastest, facial hair, scalp hair, or toe hair? (laughs) Not personally speaking, just... Facial hair. Facial hair is the answer. So who, I trust that uh, someone in your row is the champion, and you can uh, all buy them dinner later on uh, for, for their victory tonight. But I don't know how much you know about your body. Some of you are nurses and related to medical fields and, and all that, and you, you may know more than some of us do. But the question is, how much do we know about God's design for his body? How much do we know about God's design for his body? And we're going to take a look at a passage of scripture tonight that talks all about God's body. And it's a description for the church. It's a description of the church. And and Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, uses this comparison and says, hey, this is how I want the church to function. This is how Jesus wants the church to function. Now, some of you here tonight are new with us tonight, and I I have no idea where you're at in your spiritual walk. I think that there's some practical things that you can grab a hold of. I think it'll be great for you to see what type of church we're aspiring to be. But then as we step into 1 Corinthians 13 and, and to see the hope and the healing that's provided there, for, for when churches get broken. If you can hang on and see what's there, there's great news ahead. And so I know that you'll be impacted and encouraged with that. So let's dive in. And, and the first thing that I want to do and to look at tonight with you is to think about three kind of basic truths about church. Three basic truths about church. And the first one is this. Everyone that is part of the church is spiritual. Everyone that is part of the church is spiritual. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, uh, verse 1 says that, that hey, concerning spiritual gifts, uh, let, let's talk about that. And so they had asked questions, and then Paul launches in, and this kind of sets up the whole passage. And down at the end, Paul says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying there is that if you're truly part of the church, marked by a belief and an affirmation that you would say, yeah, I'm all in, Jesus is Lord, it means that you are a spiritual person. 
God is at work in your life. God is indwelling you. God is with you. And you have an exciting part to play as a spiritual person in his body. And he compares this and he says, hey, these are the two kind of major backgrounds in the church of Corinth that existed. He says in in the start there that you were pagans. When you were pagans, you were led astray to mute, mute idols, however you were led. He says, hey, some of you came from idolatry, major part of the Corinthian life and experience. And he says, if you're part of the church now, you're spiritual. It doesn't matter your background. Another significant part of the church in in Corinth was also a Jewish uh, contingency. And so this idea that no one by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And so if you think about Paul himself, before Jesus entered his life in a dramatic way, he was part of saying Jesus is accursed to the point where he was going and killing and persecuting or at least supervising the killing of Christians. He was trying to stamp out what he viewed as a perversion of the Jewish faith. And so he would have said, Jesus is accursed. I don't know what all of our backgrounds are tonight here. But if you claim Jesus as Lord, you are a spiritual part of Jesus' church. It doesn't matter if you were Wiccan. It doesn't matter if you were atheist. It doesn't matter if you're a cheater or if you have anger problems or or whatever the case may be in your background. When you have God enter your life in the person of Jesus Christ, you become a spiritual person and you are an exciting part of his church. The second truth that we want to think about from these, these passages, that everyone that is part of the church has a spiritual gift for the benefit of others. Everyone that's part of the church has a spiritual gift for the benefit of others. In verse 7, it says this, To each, that means everyone, is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 12, it kind of goes back and forth between calling that spiritual gifts and, and all of that. And then it says, For the common good. So God has given you something for the benefit of others. Now, spiritual gifts is kind of like a churchy type of phrase. So what what are we talking about there? Paul ends in the Moody Handbook of Theology, defines it this way. He says, a spiritual gift is a divine endowment. That's a fancy word for saying gift from God. Of a special ability for service upon a member of the body of Christ. What it is, is that God, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, when you become one of his followers, God gives you a special gift that he wants you to use for others. Now, in about four different passages in the New Testament, there's different lists. None of them are the same. And I don't even have them all listed up here. But, but the Bible talks about two kind of big categories of gifts. In Ephesians, God says, I'm giving gifts, and they're people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, pastors, elders, kind of all mean the the same thing there. And then in other passages, like the one that we're in, in 1 Corinthians 12, in Romans 12, in 1 Peter 4, 
it talks about abilities. And so there we see things like prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading. And it goes on. There's a big list that I couldn't even fit them all on the screen. God has given the church both people and the people that make up the church has given all of them at least one spiritual gift. Now, as much as my theological nerd and pastoral would love to dive in and to try to explain all of that tonight, we just don't have the time. So I'm going to invite you to join me and Pastor Josh tomorrow night on Facebook Live at 9 o'clock. And we're going to kind of go into this a little bit more and say, what's the deal with spiritual gifts? And kind of go into some of the details and some of the common questions and, and different things about that. And we would love to have you jump in, ask your questions, and, and interact with us there. But the thing, the focus of this passage, and especially in chapters 12 and 13, is not so much on how the spiritual gifts work and, and what they all are, but it's how you can fix or repair a church when they've gotten all messed up in their perspective about serving, when they've forgotten these truths that everyone is spiritual and that, that everyone has a gift. And we're going to see a little bit more of that as it goes along, but that's where we're going to kind of spend our time uh, this evening is, is thinking about the hope and the healing that's available when churches get messed up on, on gifts. And so we want to remind ourselves that everyone that's part of the church has a spiritual gift for the benefit of the others. And then the, the third basic truth that we kind of need to understand as we jump in tonight is this, that everyone that is part of the church has a role. Everyone that is part of the church has a role. If you are one of Jesus' followers, you have a role to play. God has called you to be active in his body. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, it, it highlights and it, it repeats this idea that for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Somehow, in God's design and in God's perspective, he brings all of these diverse people together and he puts them into one body. Now, Paul is going to go and he's going to help us understand what this looks like a little bit more. And he's going to do that by highlighting probably some of the ways that the Corinthian church was having problems with. And how the Corinthian church was breaking in relationship to serving God with their spiritual gifts. So let's take a look at this and think about how a church breaks. How do churches break when it comes to serving I invite you to, to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and, and 13. That's where we're going to be spending our time. You can also follow along at branchlife.church. And I want to just invite us to pray together as we come now uh, to, to this passage. God, thank you for your word. God, help us to understand it tonight. Help us, whether we're one of your children or, or we're just here for a baby, uh, help us to think about what these verses might say for our life. We pray that we'd be responsive to your spirit in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. The church can break in three ways. 
that this passage talks about. The first way is a church can get isolated. You can isolate yourself from the church. Verses 12 and following in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says this, for, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it less, any less a part of the body. These verses are reminding us that while our faith is very personal, it's never supposed to be private. It's never something that we can do in, iso in isolation. Let's think about our friend Fred here. Okay? Fred's got a nice set of lungs here. But Fred's lungs want to be by themselves. They say, you know what? I'm good on my own. I'm going to take myself out. I'm going to, to walk away. I need to spend some me time as lungs to really kind of get myself recentered and, and figure out how things get. You know, I had a cold a while back. I got a, you know, I'm getting over the coronavirus or, or, or whatever the case may be. And, and Fred's lungs want to isolate themselves. What's the problem? These lungs are going to die in a matter of minutes. Lungs can't operate by themselves. They can't say, sorry, Fred, sorry, Fred's body, heart, brain, all that. I don't need you. I'm going off on my own. Paul is saying that in the same way, someone who is a follower of Jesus can't live life in isolation. They can't separate themselves out from the body. And we may do this for, for any number of reasons. We may have been hurt. And so we say, I don't want to go through that again. I'm going to hide myself. Uh, we may say, my schedule is just jam-packed full of stuff and, and, and I can't do it. We may get annoyed with people. I just say, you know what, I, I can do it on my own. We may think, hey, I've got a Bible app in my phone. I can watch Branch Life Services on Facebook Live. I can do all of these things. I don't, I don't need to actually be connected with people. I can feed myself. And while all of those activities may be good and appropriate, at times, without the body isolating ourselves, it always leads to problems. Not just for you, but Fred's body over there is not going to last too long without his lungs either. The first problem in, in the way that churches break is isolation. Another thing that, that can happen in, in churches is pride gets settled in. Verses 17 through 21. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, 
Where would be the sense of smell? So we've got this cartoonish picture, right? Like imagine the big eyeball with the, the hands and the, the legs just walking around on our side. It's cartoonish. That's what Paul is saying there. If the whole eye, you don't have a body. If it were all a big ear, you got problems. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the hand to the feet, I have no need of you. Pride is a major problem. And if you're here tonight and you think that branch life or the church that you're a part of or churches in, de- in, in general should be filled with people that look just like you and act just like you and have the same preferences and desires and outlook on life as you, you've got a pride problem, right? Right? As important as the heart is to Fred's body. If Fred's heart got full of himself and say, you know what? You know what Fred's body just really needs? Less of everything else and more of me. In fact, everything in Fred's body needs to be the heart. Fred would be in trouble really quick. A heart is not very good if it doesn't have a brain telling it to beat. A heart won't have blood and, and red and white blood cells to, to fill that, that blood and the, the plasma without things like bone marrow and, and all of that. If all that Fred's body was was the heart, Fred's going to die. So it is with church. If we think man, I really know what branch life needs. More of me. I'm fantastic. I mean, look at the sweater that I pick out. I got courage to wear something that ridiculously loud. I mean, my kid is like, looks, you know, so handsome because of his mother. You know, like, this is what it needs. No. No. We need everyone, and we need to remember that by God's design, he has a role for other people to play in your life, and that it's not all about you. For you to be healthy and for the church body to be healthy, we all have a role, and we can't all be the same, as much as maybe it would be easier, we think, occasionally. The last problem is the problem of inactivity. Our passage continues on. Verse 21 and and going on. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the part of the body that seems to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts, the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our un and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. 
But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care one for another. Your participation in God's body brings life. Your inactivity in God's body brings disease and death to yourself and to others. Now you think back on ancient Greece when the book of Corinth was written. And they're famous for these beautiful statues that they made. Something like a statue like the Venus de Milo is still hailed as one of the great statues of of feminine beauty. And she doesn't even have arms. You know what they didn't have a lot of statues of in in, uh, ancient Greece? This part of Fred's body. We're not looking and scouring archaeological sites saying, you know what we really need to find is the most beautiful representation of somebody's small intestines. We, we don't need to find all of the stuff that's in here. That's what Paul's saying in this passage. He's saying, listen, there's a few people that are the, the arms and the head and, and, and all that, the glamour shots people. Okay, that's a reality in life. But you can survive without an arm. You can survive without a leg. But do you know what happens when your stomach gets messed up? Do you know what happens when all these parts stop shutting down? You're in a lot of pain really quick, and you cannot survive or move. Some of us get the idea, well, if I'm not the one up front, if I'm not the one that everybody knows and loves, if there's not a role where I'm not in the spotlight, then I'm not really needed. Paul says that in God's church, the most important things is all of this. And that we all need to work together. And the parts that we don't like to talk about, the parts that aren't so presentable, I would turn Fred around to hide them, but Fred's backside's not real presentable either. We, we don't talk about. But let me tell you this. We need all of us working together to be the church that God has designed us to be. We need all of us working together and playing our different roles to be the church that God wants us to be. Now, the church is filled with people, myself being one of the chief examples, that aren't God's ideal. And so there's this constant battle that happens where things like isolation and pride and inactivity want to get in. And we have to say, no, that's not what God wants. If I can be real honest and transparent with you, just a couple of weeks ago, I dropped the ball on something as a pastor. There was a circumstance where I I knew that I should have done something. I even wrote it down as a note to do. I didn't do it one day. I wrote it down again, need to do this, and it didn't happen. And I ended up 
hurting someone. And all of a sudden, this temptation enters in. What am I going to do? How am I going to respond? And I thought, okay, maybe we can just pretend like it didn't happen. And if it's long enough, the person's probably going to be gracious enough and we can, we can move past it. And so I was this temptation. Maybe I'll just isolate myself. We can pretend like it didn't happen. I can look the other way and the other people are dealing with it. It's, it'll all be okay. And then I thought, well, okay, that's probably not the best, but maybe I can like pull the, the pastor card. You cannot believe how much stuff I had going on and, and list all of the mitigating reasons why, why it didn't, didn't happen in that and to minimize my failure to, to act in that circumstance. And I thought, well, maybe that's what I'll do. Thankfully, maybe because I was already starting to work on this, <laughs> God said, no, <laughs> that's not what you got to do. So I went and I apologized in the, the course of the conversation with someone. I said, you know, for my part, no excuses. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Now, thankfully, the person was maybe reading ahead too because they responded in just the way that Paul encourages in chapter 13. And the amazing reality, and if you take away anything tonight, this is what I want you to remember, is this. That in a broken church, filled with broken people, that are going to sin and mess up on a regular basis, love is required for a church to function properly. Love is required for a church to function properly. And that's what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's this famous love chapter in the Bible. And Paul didn't just get this idea and say, oh man, I got this great chapter in this thing and, and people in the 21st century are going to love this and want to read it at their weddings. I got to have a place to put it, so I'll throw it in here. No, this chapter is central to what Paul is saying is going to provide help and healing to the church of Corinth. And it answers the question, okay, if love is required for a church to function properly, how do we love? How do we love? And he goes through and he, he describes it. And we, we heard these verses read earlier in a much more elegant British accent than, than what I have, but, but goes through and, and reads this passage. And the first thing, that they say in verse 7 of chapter 13 is that, that what love is, and all of these are kind of adjectives in the English, but in the, the Greek that this was originally written, that these are all verbs. So the emphasis is on love is something that you're doing. You're doing all the time. You're actively engaging with these things. And so you're doing things like you're being patient and you're being kind. You're waiting for people. Literally. You're waiting and opening the door for them. You're waiting for them to, to maybe rise to the call that they, they've been asked to do to serve in the church. You're waiting for them to make God-honoring decisions and you treat them with kindness and you're nurturing them and you're, you're helping them along. You're not sitting there tapping your foot and looking at your watch saying, no, no, come on, stop being an idiot and start doing what God wants. No, you're patient and you're kind. Because you love them. And when people mess up, you don't throw the book at them. 
And when people forget to do things that they're supposed to, you're gracious and you give them a little more time. It goes on and, and, and it says, how do we love? Well, well, we don't envy or boast. We don't say, hey, I am the best and you all need to be like me. And we don't look and we say, oh, that guy, if I was only like Pastor Josh. Man, if I was only like Pastor Corey, if I only had this or, or that, if I could only, no, we love. And we take people where they're at. We're thankful for them and we're comfortable with where God has us to serve. We're not arrogant. We're not rude. Don't be a jerk, Branch Life Church. Be nice people. Not just to be nice, but because God is beyond nice to you. He loves you, and he wants what's best for you. Don't be arrogant or rude. Don't insist on your own way. We've got 130 people, whatever the case may be, here tonight. There's probably about 170 opinions on the way things should go. Don't insist on your own way. We're filled with a church of people that all have the Holy Spirit if they're followers of Jesus Christ. God is using them and speaking through them and allowing them to engage his word and, and see things differently. And chances are, if the church is just like how Pastor Scott wants it, we're not the church that God wants us to be. If the church is just the way that you want it, as much as you would love that, it's probably not the church that God wants it to be. Bring your knowledge, bring your wisdom, function in your role. But remember, it doesn't always have to be your way. Don't be irritable or resentful. It's <laughs> Kids are great, and I, I love I love my son. I love my daughter. But you know, you get in those, those days. We went out to eat the other night. We went to a little fancier restaurant. And at fancier restaurants, they have smaller tables. And I got the privilege of sitting next to my son. It drove me nuts. He's all over me. He's in my spot. He's trying to cut his bread and he's got his elbows out like this. It drives me crazy. And I got irritable. Man, when stuff happens, it's really easy to get that way. But we got to remember, God is calling us to something different. Don't rejoice at wrongdoing. Man, if you ever hear a conversation at Branch Life with, hey, hey man, I'm glad we got away with that. That's not what we're called to do. 
well, you wouldn't believe what I pulled over on so-and-so. Oh, man. That's not love. Then rejoice with the truth. We want to celebrate the truth of what God is doing. We want to celebrate the fact that God saves people, that he brings them, that he offers forgiveness. We want to celebrate when people confess and admit the, the, the wrong things and the sin that they've done in life. And we want to encourage them with the truth that Jesus loves them and is there to forgive them. And it's because love at the end of this bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love goes on and on. Love is forever. We read a uh, kid's Bible. Uh, and they, they, they talk in there uh, about this idea. And, and, and they, they use this phrase about God's love. They describe it this way. It's his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's this idea right here. That's the type of love that God has for us and that God calls us to be as a church. Love is required for a church to function properly. Branch life, this is what God is calling us to be. This is what God says will make a difference in the world. This is what God says and what he means when he says, they will know, unbelievers, people that are not my followers, will know that you're my children because you love one another. It's because of this type of love. It's the type of love that's beautiful. It's the type of love that people say, hey, I want to read about that at my wedding because that's the type of love that I want to have. It's the type of love that parents say, I hope and pray that I can live up to half of that with my kids. That's what God has called us to. If you happen to be here tonight and you are not yet part of God's church, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you've not placed your faith in him. Let me encourage you and, and remind you and, and run through this reality. We love like this not because we've loved God but because he first sent his son he loves us how did Jesus love Jesus was patient and kind to the point where he went around for three years with a bunch of guys who couldn't figure it out and he loved them and he died for them. He didn't envy or boast. He didn't say, could you figure out who I am? I am God. And even like at his trials and at different points when people started to figure that out, he was super low-key about it. And he's just, yeah, that's true. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't rude. He didn't insist on his own way. He's in the garden moments before he's arrested to go and to die. And he prays and he asks God the Father and he says, if there's another way, 
Could you make it happen? I, that would really be great. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He didn't rejoice at wrongdoing. He, he rejoiced with the truth. And let me just affirm this once again. Jesus Christ bore all things. He bore the sins of the world. He bore the brokenness that enters in. Whatever you've done, whatever you think you may do, whatever awful sin that you've got tucked away in some corner, Jesus bore that on himself when he died on the cross. And he believed all things. He did that because he knew that it was paying the penalty for the sins of many. And that when we believe and that when anyone believes and follows after him, you can have that forgiveness be yours because he bore it. He hoped all things. He endured all things. In Hebrews it says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He did that for the joy that was before him, the joy of having his children with him forever, the joy of bringing glory to the Father through his obedience, the joy of sin being defeated and death being overcome. That is the good news of hope and healing. That is what is available to you tonight. And I just invite you, if you have not had that experience where you have experienced God's love in your life, tonight is the night where that can become a reality. And the Bible says you simply need to believe. You need to say, yeah, I'm broken and I'm messed up and everything that I'm pursuing is not fixing it. But I'm believing that Jesus, bearing all things, he bore my sin. And when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for it. And when he rose from the grave, it demonstrates that forgiveness and life eternal with God can be mine. And to say, I'm believing in that and that alone. And you can have life, a forgiven life forever with God. And we invite you to do that tonight, right now. A simple way that you can do that is by saying this simple prayer. Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. I believe you, Jesus, died for my sins and rose from the dead. Today, I'm deciding to trust in you to save me from my sins. Thank you for saving me. We invite you to say that simple prayer in your mind, in your heart, quietly to yourself. And you will become one of God's children. You will become part of his body. At Branch Life, we, we believe that when we gather on Sundays and when we get together, it's for the purpose of getting us better prepared and encouraging one another to live our life out in the everyday Monday through Saturday, to, to take it and to take next steps of faith towards him. Let me encourage you with some possible next steps that you could think about tonight. Number one, communicate belief. Communicate belief. 
If you just prayed that prayer or, or something like that, or you've done it in the last couple of weeks, we would love to know. There's a spot on the connection card that you can say, today I decided to follow Jesus. Let us know that you have believed in that. If you've done that a while back ago and you haven't yet been baptized, you can communicate your faith to the world, your belief, next week by being baptized. We'll, we'll get you in. It's not too late. You can also say that on the connection card. Some of you are here tonight and maybe you say, okay, I get it. This was all because people were messed up in their serving. Some were saying everybody had to be like uh, them. Others weren't serving at all. Maybe you are here and you need to start serving. You need to start getting involved. You can sign up at branchlife.church or you can let us know on the connection card and we'll, we'll help you get plugged in and to start serving. Maybe there's a few of us here that need to spend some time to confessing and saying, man, I've, I've messed up. <laughs> I've been really angry with Branch Life because it wasn't this way. Or, or I've, I, I knew I've been, I've been supposing to serve, but I've just come up with a lot of lousy excuses for way too long, and I need to, to get that right. And then fourth, maybe, maybe you need to just say, I need some help. Maybe I need some help figuring out what you're talking about with God's love and the gospel and the good news about Jesus. We'd love to continue the conversation with you. Maybe you say, I want to get involved. I just don't know how. We're figuring out as a new church how to best facilitate that and, and improve in that. But just ask. Maybe you've got a specific question. I don't know how to do this. Let us know. We, we want to help with that. I want to encourage you to take the next few minutes. And uh, Rob and the team is going to come out. Rob will, Rob will play some music. And we'll, we'll have a few minutes here for you to take these cards and to respond to what you've heard in God's word tonight. To take your next step of faith. And at the end of the service, we'll collect them. But we would love to know how God is working in your life. We would love to know what the next steps are that you're prayerfully considering. And we want to support you in that. We're so glad that you're here tonight. It was not an accident. And we believe that God has great things ahead, from you, ahead for you. If you'll trust him and follow him and seek his ways, he's got a life that will be filled with hope and healing, and one day he's going to take care of all of the problems. We trust that you'll take a next step towards that life today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these reminders from your word. God, thank you that you love us with a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. But we don't ever have to worry about whether you love us today or not. You love us. You love Pottstown. You love everyone in the Philadelphia area and you want all of us to be your children and to follow after you and you've provided a way through your son. God, help us tonight as we consider what our next steps will be to respond in faith to your word. It's in our Savior's name that we pray. Amen.